So you've uh, probably heard of the generation, the millennials. Those are the young adults that have been born between 1981 and 1996. And uh, very interestingly, in, uh, as uh, studies have done through Pew Research and other groups, they found that they're much less likely to pray, attend church regularly. Con- they consider uh, they don't consider religion an important part of their lives. And uh, but the the, the, answer, the interesting thing is that they don't trust any institution. They don't trust the government. They don't trust any institution. Uh, and that's a general observation. It's not true of every person that falls in that age category, but it's a general trend. Um, the Gen Xers, that is the generation uh, before them, basically uh, show that same trend. Uh, but we live in a world today where people have basically said, I'm kind of done with religion. I, it's not really doing me anything. I don't see the benefit of it. And in a way, for me, that's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing, and I'll explain what I mean as we move on. Uh, but we're, we're really, in my mind, uh, many people have turned away from religion because they're turning away from something that they say isn't helpful, it isn't practical, it's uh, pretty binding, it's pretty restrictive, it's pretty messed up. And for a lot of reasons, I wouldn't generally disagree with that. Um, but there are some really good things. And so my concern is a good thing, I think, that they're examining it. The bad thing is I think they may be walking away from the truth and, and the gospel. And so we want to talk about that. And we, we want to talk about one of the things that probably has charged this up so much uh, in their lives. Uh, one of the things. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I want to talk about kind of where we've been. The whole series has really been talking about, you know, we can't control our circumstances, but we can control our attitude in the midst of the circumstances of life. Um, For followers of Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope, right? Uh, It can carry us through whatever circumstance we we face. Uh, Sometimes life can be very dark and difficult, but knowing that we have hope uh, beyond the grave gives us uh, 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 something to hang on to. So the, the book of Philippians has a lot to say about having the right attitude and the right perspective when life gives us trials, tribulations, and trouble, you know, and it will. It's just a matter of, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? So last weekend I talked about how God is working for us and within us, that he gives us not only the ability but the desire and how important it is to have both because if I have the ability but not the desire, that doesn't really do me much good. If I have the desire but I don't have the ability, then I've got a different problem. But he gives us both the ability and the desire. So this weekend what we want to look at is we want to look at how um, one of the great crushers of hope and happiness and joy is, is legalism. And you say, well, I don't see how that fits in. You will. You will as we move through here. So uh, I'd love you to follow along with me. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Page 900, if you don't have a Bible, there's a chair Bible. Pull that out, open it up, take a look at it. I'm going to read through, and if nothing else, you can say whether I read well or not, and if you butcher words or not, you know, and we can all have a laugh at Matt's expense tonight, and that's great. Philippians 3, verse 1, page 900. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. 
Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say, you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, uh, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. If indeed, uh, indeed, if others had reason for a, a confidence in their own efforts, I even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member uh, of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And uh, as for righteousness... I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my, on my own righteousness to, Through obeying the law, rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So uh, the first thing I want to see is that legalism or religion, and I think they're synonymous, can keep you away from God. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that religion or legalism can keep you from God? Uh, The first thing is that by following rules and rituals. Um, I was raised in a religion that had a lot of rules and rituals. Uh, and, you know, to a certain extent, some of those things weren't necessarily bad, but uh, they become on, on the end and not a means to an end. So Paul's challenging those who were, who were saying, and essentially what they're saying is you need to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised um, to be saved. Um, and he calls them, in one translation, the mutilators of the, the, the uh, flesh. He basically says, those, don't listen to those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, circumcision and dietary laws were the major dividing lines in the early church. You had to have a certain diet, and uh, basically, which was following, bringing that Old Testament law into the New Testament. And the other one was circumcision. Those were the two big things that uh, the early church really struggled with. Um, by the way, we have our own struggles in the American church. Uh, probably one of the most recent ones that we're going through is a generational thing, and it's the worship wars. What style of music should we have in the church? And uh, there are churches that are trying to please everyone, and guess what? Music, uh, th- there is no more debated issue within the church than music. There will never probably be one, but uh, so we have our own thing. But the church came to a place, and you read about it, in, and they came, kind of came to a conclusion, uh, a solution in Acts chapter 15. And, and essentially what it came down to was this. The, the leaders of the church came together and they said, what are we going to do with Gentiles? Gentiles are coming to faith. Now, they, it was a surprise to them, apparently. Uh, they thought, well, sure, certainly Jews will come to faith, but what about Gentiles? Well, Gentiles are speaking in tongues. They're uh, having the, the, the fruit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, they're repenting. Uh, what do we do with them? And so some were saying, well, you have to be circumcised. So you have to believe in Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. 
Others, Paul was one of them, said, no, 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 it's all by faith. You don't have to be circumcised. So they had a council. It was called the Jerusalem Council. As again, you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. They came to a decision. They basically said that new believers, uh, Gentiles in particular, uh, in the issue of circumcision, they basically said the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Now, um, Basically, what they were saying was if you add circumcision to the gospel, you lose the gospel. You kill the gospel. It's destroyed. So uh, that's a pretty important thing. Now, Paul addresses this again in another one of his letters in the book of Galatians. And if you turn back a couple pages to page 890, Paul gives a really stern warning about anybody who would add to the gospel. So he says this very interesting. This is Galatians 1 verse 6, page 890. Paul says this, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news of the gospel, but is not the good news or gospel at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us. Or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel good news than the one we preach to you. So what was this different gospel, this different good news that Paul is basically... And, and it, you, you can literally say when he says anyone preaches that, they should be damned to hell. That's essentially what he's saying. Let them be damned to hell. If it's an angel of heaven, let them be damned to hell. If it's me, let me be damned to hell if I preach a different gospel. So these are fighting words. He doesn't say it just once. He says it twice in Galatians 1. So the question is, what is this other gospel that Paul's talking about. Well, he tells us, uh, chapter uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. He tells us what this other gospel is. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ and you have fallen away from God's grace. You see the point here? It's a very important point to hear because what he's saying here is, that if you add circumcision to the gospel, you lose the grace and you lose gospel. You lose the gospel. You lose it. It's gone. Completely gone. Now, why is that important? Well, it's really important. He uses very strong language and he says again, if anyone adds to the gospel, let them be damned to hell. And so he tells us what they're doing. They're adding circumcision to the gospel. They're saying a person isn't saved unless they're... Now, we'd say, okay, so, so what does that mean to us? Who cares? Babies are male babies are circumcised probably you know within a couple of days within a day or two of their birth right it's just general the practice in America uh, so what's the big deal well I believe we have a modern day uh, comparable thing to circumcision it's baptism it is. I believe it's baptism because there are churches out there today that say unless you're baptized, unless you believe and are baptized, you're not done. The deal's not done until you're dunked or sprinkled or whatever. You know, I don't want to offend anyone who has different mode. Uh, But essentially, that's what it's saying. Until you're baptized, the deal's not done. And you're not saved until you're baptized. And, you know, there's a lot of churches here in this community and all over America and around the world that, that teach that. 
So is it any wonder that Paul uh, gave such a strong response to people who were adding to the gospel? The point is, legalism will always add something to the gospel. It's always something you have to do. It's always a work, some human effort, that you have to do something to be saved. Okay? Now, so that's the first thing. We, legalism always adds something to the gospel. Secondly, uh, relying on heritage and self-discipline. Now, legalism c- brings us to a place where we begin to compare ourselves to others. It's just a natural response. Uh, we, we, uh, we have a sense of pride. We look down on others. We perceive ourselves as we can. And the reason we perceive ourselves better than others is because we can always look for someone who's doing worse than us. And as long as they're doing worse than us, we can step on them, and that's okay. Um, and basically, if Paul is saying, if anyone had the right to brag about heritage, it's me. It's me. Um, and in human effort, it's me. I had I had those down pat. Uh, look at his heritage. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. One translation puts it, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You don't get any more Hebrew than me, right? That's what he was saying. He was born into the right family. But the question is, what if you're not? What if you're born a Gentile? Are you a second-class citizen? Do you not fit in? Do you not measure up? Or circumcision. Paul said, I was... Uh, I was uh, Circumcised on the eighth day, my parents followed the letter of the law. Uh, Paul's parents reared him and brought him up in the law. They followed the law in in their practice. Uh, He said, I was a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? Someone who was trained in the word, understanding the word, taught in the word, followed the word. He had knowledge and understanding the law. He was educated in law. He was excelled in it. He was in the upper class of the religious society. You know, you couldn't get more... Uh, if, if there was anyone who had a really had a track record of following the law, it was Paul. He wasn't bragging. He was just saying that it was, it, it, you know, somebody, is, you know, was it Muhammad Ali says it, it, it ain't bragging if you can do it, right? Well, that's Paul. Paul's basically saying, you know, that was my life. Zealous? You want to talk about being zealous? Paul zealously persecuted the church. You can read about him, and the first mention we have of Paul, his name was Saul at that point, but he was watching the coats while they began to stone Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Why'd they stone Stephen? Because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't fit into the religion of that day. So Paul was zealous. Um, He would go from town to town and find the Christians and turn them in. Many of them were stoned. Many of them were killed. That was his life. That, now, all that time, get this, all that time he thought he was serving God. Until one day on a road to Damascus, Jesus meets him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. And Paul had a life transformation moment on the road to Damascus. What set, the, what set the Apostle Paul free, though? It's in our passage. It's in our passage. Uh, look, look over, um, look at what he says. The last part he says, he says, I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way, way of making us right with himself depends on See, the gospel is faith and trust in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. 
by grace. That's the gospel. And if you add anything to it, you just lost the gospel. So here's the key point. Paul came to understand that righteousness is not something he could earn. It was only received by faith. Legalism is always legalism in religion is always adding something. Uh, legalism in religion, always, it's kind of like this. There are many people who are on the legalism ladder. And they're trying their best to follow the rules and rituals and regulations of whatever religious tradition they may have been raised in. It may have been their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. We've always been Lutheran. We've always been Catholic. We've always been Baptist. We've always been this. doesn't really matter. But my, we're climbing this ladder. We're following the law. Just like Paul was. Just like Paul was. What was he doing? He was following the law to the letter. He was climbing the ladder. But what's the, what happens when you get to the top of the ladder and you find it's against the wrong wall? Right? Now what do you do? You're perfect. You're at the top. You're above everyone else. But you realize, I, go, I just went down the wrong road. I'm on the wrong ladder. Paul's basically saying that uh, I climbed the ladder and I found out halfway up that I was against, it was against the wrong wall. See, re- religion and legalism is all about climbing, doing more, being better. The gospel is about God reaching down and rescuing lost, hopeless and helpless people who are drowning in sin, who desperately need a Savior. And that's what God did. What was his name? Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. Right? And so that's why he came. He came to save us. So the question I want to ask you is, are you still trying to save yourself? Are you still trying to do enough, believe the right things, use your heritage, use your tradition and say, well, that, you know, some people are basically, yeah, I get this. Some of you are raised in a tradition where you've always been this, whatever the big R religion is. You've been of that denomination. And it's almost like being Irish or being German, or being Polish, or whatever it is. That's who you are. It's part of your identity. You say, but I can't let that go. That's part of who I am. And I just would say to you, you know what? Take what you can from that, but you can't allow that to define who you are as far as Jesus Christ, because unless you're willing to say, I'm lost and I'm helpless and hopeless and I desperately need a Savior, you'll never find Jesus. You'll never find Him. So are you still trying to save yourself? You can't. You need to be saved. Uh, so, so the question is, and this is what we want to spend the rest of the time on uh, in, this, uh, in our time together this weekend, is this. What does it mean to live according to the gospel? So what implication does the good news, the gospel, have? If, if legalism and religion just kind of chokes out happiness and joy and, and uh, all that, then, then what, 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 how does gospel-centered living impact our lives? All right, that's what we want to look at. And there's a number of things we can say about that. The first one is, none of us, none of us have arrived this side of heaven. That's an important thing to see, because religion basically says, I may not have arrived, but I'm really close. <laughs> I'm further than you are. So, And, you know, basically, uh, the gospel says none of us have arrived. Uh, there's nobody who have arrived. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 14, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Paul says that. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. 
No, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. So Paul uses athletic language here. And he basically says, I am in a race, and I haven't finished yet, and I haven't won yet. I'm still running. We're still running. No one has arrived. We're not done yet. The race isn't over. It's very important to hear that. No one has arrived. Uh, now, if Paul didn't arrive, believe me, you and, you, you and I have not arrived. Okay? God is working on us, and God is working within us. He's not finished with us. He's not done with us. But we've yet to see what he's planned for us. Okay? Now, we're going to be dissatisfied with the progress we see, but we don't allow the enemy to, to, to pile on and say, look at you, you, you haven't arrived, you're not very good. You, ha-, you know, and, and that's the thing. The enemy does that. It, it's not God. It's not God. Uh, the enemy wants to condemn you, put you down. But we don't lose hope because we know that he who began a good work in us, he says, will continue that work within us. Uh, Larry Osborne says, as long as you're alive, you haven't arrived. That's true. So that's important. It's important for us to see that none of us have arrived. So don't beat yourself up that you haven't arrived. (laughs) So many people do that. The second thing is, the right path isn't always easy. Notice the phrase that Paul uses, I press on, I strain, I strive. So Paul's not talking about a nice little hike, a short walk, a little jaunt. It's work. It's hard work. It's, it's messy. It's difficult. It's, it's challenging. You, you cry sometimes in the middle of it. We, you know, we do this. We work hard for a lot of things in life, don't we? Uh, we, we to acquire wealth, to develop a career. Uh, some of us are working hard to remain fit, Right? Uh, we work hard sometimes at hobbies. And when I say work hard, I mean we're really motivated for it. We really go after it. Home improvement pro, uh, pro, uh, projects. Um, many parents are really dedicated to their, their kids, and they'll drive them all over the place. Uh, one of my brothers, uh, he was really super dedicated to his daughter who was in fencing and drove her all over. I mean thousands and thousands and thousands of miles so that she could be participate, you know, because it's not like you find a lot of people fencing all everywhere, you know. Um, but parents are, you know, those aren't bad. It's not bad things or good things. It's just you, you're, you're, you can get really committed to a lot of those things. And, and so it's easy for us to say, okay, this is going to be hard. This is going to be challenging. We're going to have to get up early. We're going to have to give our money. We're going to have to lose sleep. We're going to have to, you know, this, this is going to be difficult. Well, why in the world would we not think that pursuing spiritual maturity wouldn't be kind of on par with that? Paul's essentially saying it is. That's the kind of effort Paul's talking about, the pursuit of God. Uh, look at his description. He says this. This is uh, jump over 1 Corinthians. I don't know if the verses are up there. Um, she has the passage up on the screen. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? But only one person gets surprised. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win the prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. So Paul, again, uses athletic terminology, and he basically says, I'm working hard here. I'm trying hard here. Do you, do you get this? He, was he working hard before his conversion? Yeah, he was. Zealous? Yeah. Is he doing the same thing? Yeah, but it's redirected. It's towards Christ. It's towards Christ. See, real maturity requires work. God works and we work. We don't just sit back and say, okay, I'm in a beauty salon, go to it. You know, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Now, if you would, imagine my beloved Buffalo Bills, if you could. Um, So I grew up in western New York, and the Bills was and still is my team. Um, Imagine that they only got together once a week for an hour for a team meeting. Okay? And and there was no, there were no uh, practices during the week. There were no run-throughs. There was no going over the playbook. There was no breaking down with the different, uh, the the offensive line, defensive line, the, the, uh, the backfield and the quarterbacks working together and the running backs getting together, the secondary. Uh, th- there was none of this uh, breaking up into groups, none of that during the week. There was just a one-hour meeting every week. And can you imagine if a professional football team did that every week and they went out to play football? No, maybe that's what the Bills have been doing this year. I don't know. But here's the thing. Do you think that if you show up here on a weekly basis, and by the way, most people don't come every week. It's between two and three times a month, you know. So you basically say, okay, that's the effort I'm putting in. I'm not really spending time with the Word of God. I'm not spending time with other Christians. I'm not really serving. I'm not really giving. I'm not really... I'm not do, really doing any training at all. And I don't know why I'm growing or I'm not growing. I would be like, Coach, why do we keep losing? Well, I don't know. I could think of probably a 5,000 reasons. You get my point, though. We often think the Christian life is a 50-yard uh, jog. Paul's talking about running a, uh, an ultimate ultra marathon. I have a nephew that runs these 100-mile races at altitude. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with him? Why would you want to do that? But that's what Paul's talking about. He, he, he's, he's saying, you know, I, I'm working hard here. This is a lot, there's a lot of effort going into it. I'm running a race, and I don't want to be left behind, and I don't want to... Timothy, he says to Timothy, young Timothy, he says, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Endure suffering. We think when we we suffer, we look at God and say, What are you doing? Why? (laughs) Paul says, Expect it. It's part of the road, part of the path. Number three, and this this is the implications of Christianity, true biblical Christianity. This is... This is how it affects us. This is, this is the real deal, and this is what uh, we need to hear. Um, I need a mirror more than I need binoculars. 
And, and I got this from somebody. I thought it was so good. Um, there's a popular uh, movement today. Uh, and like I said, people are turned off by religion. And I think that's a good thing. The problem is uh, they think religion is the gospel. And I don't think it is. Uh, in fact, I know it's not. Religion makes people proud. They think, look at me. I'm, better than, I'm, the better, I'm a better person than they are. Legalism causes us to look at others more critically than ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? You look at somebody else and say, they're a horrible driver. And people in your car are going, yeah, they might be, but so are you. You're not good either. Um, We all see their problems, but none of us sees ours. You know, have you ever done this? And I've done this a couple of times where I've gone out. And I've come home, and for some reason or another, I look in a mirror, and I'm going, ooh, why did I go out looking like that? (laughs) Now, the good news is I have another person in my life who's my mirror, and it's Carol. And she kind of will look at me and say, are you going out like that? And I'll say, what? (laughs) And so that helps. But more than that, sometimes she'll be a mirror, and she'll look at me internally, and she'll see something I can't see, a blind spot that I, don't ha- that I don't see. And she's able to gracefully say, what's going on here? Do you have somebody like that in your life? We need a mirror. And the best mirror is the Word of God. The mer- Word of God is a mirror. But, you know, the thing about it is we're, we're very quick to use the binoculars, right? We all see the problems of everyone else, but we don't see... You know, turn over to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. I want to read this parable that Jesus told. I think this is such a powerful parable. Some of the greatest lessons that Jesus ever told were told in parables. They're so powerful. And this is what he says. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence, notice, in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. In other words, he's saying they were legalistic, they were very religious, and they had the binoculars on, okay? And what does he say? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other, what was Paul, by the way, before his conversion? A Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Don't ever pray this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So many ways, he gives more than some of you, okay, before you want to throw stones at him, all right? But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you the truth, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified or forgiven by God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That hits right between the eyes, doesn't it? A true Christian is just a beggar who found grace 
and forgiveness and one beggar who found food. We are no better, no more deserving than anyone else. We are sinners saved by grace, and this changes how we view others. Jesus tells us, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your eyes? It's probably binoculars. That's probably what it is. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your eye, then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Are you more concerned about the behavior of others or yourself? Do you need to put down the binoculars and look into the mirror? I would say most of us, at least from time to time, would say, yeah, I do. Number whatever. Success is short-lived, but failure is not final. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul if he looked back and woe is me over his pre-Christ life when he tormented and watched Stephen Stone and dragged others out and led them to their death? He could, it could have destroyed him. It, it, it could have defined his life because he was literally the, the, he was the number one hitman of the church. But, Paul, but he didn't. He didn't. In fact, what Paul focused on was serving Christ and running the race hard and, and not giving up and not giving in. And uh, he took the gospel, he literally took the gospel to the Roman world. He wrote a large portion of the New Testament. Here are the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. He wrote the letter of the Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, the one we're reading right now, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Thirteen epistles, thirteen letters that Paul wrote. Some of the greatest, richest doctrine in the Christian church is because of the Apostle Paul. You may not, you may have given up on yourself, but God hasn't given up on you. It's very possible that if you have a pulse and if you're still breathing, your best days are yet to come. So don't allow the enemy to pile on and say, you failed, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything. Jesus said, I began a work in you, and the work I began I will not finish, and I will not give up on you, so don't give up on yourself, all right? Here's the, I think this is the last one we want to talk about. Let me talk about, uh, well, i got a couple more. Success is short-lived, but failure is not final. Um, that's the one we just looked at. So the last one I want to look at is the best way to follow Jesus is one day at a time. In other words, there's no shortcuts to maturity. We want to take the pill, go to the seminar. You, you know, it, it's interesting to me sometimes people have spent 10, 15, 20 years uh, destroying their marriage and they want to meet with me and say, and basically essentially what they want is tell me, tell us within an hour how we can fix our marriage and uh, save it. Really? Okay. Uh, I can't, and sorry. Uh, and it's the same with maturity. Maturity is not something we can take a pill, we can go to a seminar, read a book. It doesn't work that way. We grow one day at a time, week by week, year by year, trial by trial, opportunity by opportunity. God is working for you, and He's working within you. God is working in you, giving you, notice, we talked about this last week, in the desire and the power. To do what pleases him. That's Philippians 2.13. I want to close with a verse. 
This is Philippians 3, verse 10. Paul says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that the one, that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Basically, Paul was saying, my pedal is to the metal. I am going after Christ as hard as I possibly can. But I'm doing it because he changed my life fundamentally. And I think it comes down to this. Until you understand what he's done in your life, it's really difficult to really run the race the way it was meant to be run. You'll become preoccupied with life. And life, yeah, we, by the way, just let me close. We default to legalism. We default to religion. And we need to be careful about that because the, what we need to do is we need to default to obedience to Christ. <laughs> that doesn't come necessarily easy. But it really comes down to this. There are a lot of people who are giving up on religion. There are a lot of people who are giving up on Christianity. And they think, I've heard it before. I don't, I, I don't get it. I never will. I don't, it's good for you, not for me. And all I want to say is, until you understand what Christ has done for you and how he changed you. Paul had a fundamental turning point on the road to Damascus that changed the direction of his life forever. And when God does that in your life, it's hard to explain to other people. But it changes your whole perspective on life. It changes you how you view circumstances. It changes how you view life. It changes how you view other people. It changes everything. And until that event takes place in your life, nothing changes. But when that event t- takes, changes you, it should change you in a place where you, your fundamental direction changes, your energy direct changes, your values change, everything changes. That's not legalism. That's relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that you all have one. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, this isn't about us trying harder, doing more, believing the right things, being born in the right family. It's not about religion. It's about a, about a relationship. And until you come into our lives, set us free, change our heart, open our eyes, nothing changes. It may be, Father, some of us need to, um, we need to uh, get refocused. We've had binoculars in our eyes too long, and we need to get into the mirror, get our eyes in the mirror, and maybe get in the Word. Father, maybe some of us haven't been doing very much training. We've kind of let it go, kind of assumed it would come by osmosis or catching a sermon online now and then and coming to church now and then. But we really haven't put any effort or time in. We haven't really sought your face. We haven't really gone after you as hard as you've gone after us. Father, help us to understand that you love us so much and that what we're forfeiting as we don't pursue you is life and joy and happiness. And we want that, Father, but we will only get it as we desire you, as we pursue hard after you. Thank you for the example of Paul. And thank you for Jesus, who set us free, who gave us life, who turned our hearts and opened our eyes. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.